Good morning, Minecrafters, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 3, Managing Reentry. Yeah, well, I think we can probably all agree worldwide that the year 2020 will certainly go down in history. And I've heard many people say, you know, it just seems like the year that just won't end. You know, my memory is um, there's a little bit of talk about, you know, the, the COVID-19 or the Rona, as, as people are saying over here. In, uh, you know, in, in January, a little bit gradually. And then by, you know, February, it was starting to blow up all over the place, Europe and other parts of the world. And I remember, you know, Italy certainly had, you know, the center stage in the media over here just doing everything they can. It was just exploding. You know, Italy has a fantastic health system and, 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 and healthcare system. And they were even, you know, struggling. There's so much, you know, panic and fear and, you know, all the deaths and tragedy and just all this momentum. Um, then, of course, you know, coming over here to the States and it's still blowing up over here. And all over the world, people have been affected all over the world with just just so much uh, tragedy, anxiety and and again, fear and fear based energy going on. And now here we are in, you know, mid-September where people are some people are just starting, you know, kind of to get, you know, back into um, school and the workplace. And yet the pandemic's not really over and this all looks really different. And, you know, how do we manage that? So we're going to talk about how do we manage this? We're not completely through it. Things look weird and different. We don't know what's going to happen. And how, how do we do this exactly? You know, it's also important that, you know, uh, <clears throat> Minecrafters, my listeners across the globe, and up to 41 countries, by the way, it's awesome. You know, across the world that we realize that that this this is this is a trauma and we're not done yet. And I've heard people say, well, the pandemic, well, you know, it's kind of like a trauma. It's not kind of, of like a trauma. It is trauma. So if, if anyone has also had anything else happen, you know, during their childhoods and through their lives, this is, you know, also can be flipping a switch on us. You know, having the pandemic happening now can also be bringing back all that stuff. And it's, it's important to really acknowledge this and the do the best we can part. In fact, you know, thinking of all the intensity, my husband and I had planned to go to New Orleans this past March, which in the States, the middle of March, I think it was March, I think we got back on March 10th. We were only there for like five days. And I remember that we had planned it. And by then, it, this, you know, the the corona thing was was getting big here, but not quite yet. It hadn't totally blown up. And here we had planned this and we actually had a, had a deal like for a, uh, we had a very good deal for the whole trip. We didn't pay that much for it. We hadn't seen a lot of each other running around working and it was really looking forward to it. Like, oh, should we go? Should we go? Like, oh, it's only you know, four days, four days, I think it was five at the most. So we, when we went down, it was like, ooh, but it was still OK. But, you know, gaining momentum literally without exaggeration by day four, we weren't sure we were going to get home. That the you know airports were were going to shut down it was that much of a difference just in four days, and being at the airport with people just you could see it in their eyes they're scared they're staying you know ninety five feet away from each other. Um, if you even sneezed, you got leered at because people think you're carrying Nerona when it could have been an allergy, it could have been just an itch, something, and you could just feel the you could just feel the like f- it was worse than fear. I want to say terrified in the airport. It went that quickly. And so to think that we could, you know, kind of go through this regardless of what country you're in, obviously 
the coronavirus is going around the entire world to kind of, I'm thinking of that, the New Orleans thing, because that's, that's my own memory. But to think of that experience and, and the, the fear there, to think that we just, you know, shed that like a, like a snake sheds a skin, you know, just molting to shed it. That just isn't how it works. We're still kind of in the shortstop ready position stance, even though um, some of that immediate fear is behind us because it's not over. It isn't over. And no one really knows what's going to happen. Will it come back in the winter? We don't know. Is in the United States, it hasn't even left. So we don't know. And to think that, we're, that we've just left that behind casually is just not realistic. It's also not realistic to think that we're going back to quote unquote normal, whatever that is. And I'm in academia. I'm in higher education. As you know, I, I teach. I'm a professor at a college. And there have been some people who, you know, they're still saying, well, when we get back to when things get back to normal, that isn't going to happen. It just that isn't going to happen. And truthfully, one of the biggest things we can do in this current situation, regardless of what country you live in or what your job is and whether you're a parent or you're not a parent or you're taking care of aging parents, you know, whatever is going on in your life for you, one of the biggest things, one of the biggest things we can all do is acceptance, is acceptance as far as this is how it's going to be, even though we don't know how it's going to be. Acceptance is the key to most problems. This came from the 12-step programs. Um, and it's true. It doesn't mean cave in and be defeated. We're not talking about that. We're talking about coming to a place, and this is not easy. I'm not saying it's easy, you know, but to realize that this is how it is for now. And if you remember oh, some episodes back and we talked about stress, um, one of my favorite def- definitions is stress is wishing that the present moment were something other than it is. Wishing, wanting the present moment to be something other than it is. It is so true. So when we actually kind of accept that things are uncertain right now and chaotic right now and that they are more than likely not to go, not going to go back to how they were, at least not entirely, right away in that moment, our new moment, we are right away better off. You know, and as the very, very famous psychoanalyst Carl Jung has said, that which we resist will persist. So, so, so true. And we might, it's counterintuitive because we might want to wrestle with this pandemic, just wrestle, take it down on the mat and beat it, you know, and then just resist digging with our nails and, you know, go away, stop. We want things back the way they were. And here, here's the big news flash. Not going to happen. So as far as uh, sort of, you know, providing some, some tips and strategies for managing reentry, I'm going to have some real, some real practical ones. I'm going to try to cover as many, you know, kind of life circumstances as I can. And of course, we'll have to revisit how to manage anxiety because change in general, you know, um, for some people is very, very hard. And we've talked about most of life things landing on a spectrum, right? Just like, uh, you know, again, playing the violin, autism, sexuality, usually people aren't just on one end or the other. There's a whole middle, right? So some people, even before the pandemic, just weren't big fans of change and then enter something that's absolutely overwhelming it's not to throw anybody in a spin. So we're going to talk about that as well. Um, so to begin, we'll just start talk with, we're going to start with some easy ones, just some easy things to kind of put into place. So many of us, and I'm a professor, so we've had to pivot and shift, and now we're doing something called the flex hybrid, and so we're part virtual, part in person. It's been challenging. Personally, I like a challenge. I'm not going to say it's easy. It's, it's still a challenge, actually, but it's getting smoother. 
So for anyone who is still virtual or partially virtual, meaning you're working out of your home, one sort of rather easy thing to start doing if you're not already is to get dressed in the morning. Get dressed as if you were leaving, getting on the subway, in a car, or walking to work, you know, makeup on or whatever it is your morning ritual is, get dressed because this is a very clear signal to your brain that the day is starting, even if you're just on your couch. Um, another uh, a sort of simple, more concrete or tangible tip, which I'm about to do myself now that um, a lot of my teaching is, is virtual, is to create an office space of your own at home. Now, realizing there are people that don't have a lot of space, and if you can't actually um, designate a room, which is certainly understandable, even in the smallest studio apartment, somebody can, it's possible to create a space, even if it's a corner. And it can be fun to move things around, kind of changes things up a little bit. And, you know, put a couple of pictures there, you know, maybe your, for me, your golden retriever, you know, and make it a workspace because it's very, very important um, to not work where you relax. So in other words, very, very bad to be working out of your bedroom. Very, not, very, very, not good. Not healthy. Nishki, not healthy. Not good. Uh, also true, college students, if you're listening, not the best idea, a very, very bad idea for you to be studying in your dorm room. It's even if you have a common room down the hallway, um, you know, like lobby area, common room, best if you can go to the library, something that's entirely different atmosphere. So that's one, again, even in smallest space, if you, if you can't leave to do work, then try to designate at least a corner that you don't sit and read like a novel for pleasure or something that it's completely your workspace. And when you're done, you're done. This leads us to tip number three also works for college students, works for any young adults, seasoned adults, anybody in school and working or both, including um, if you're an at-home parent, that is absolutely work. I know I did it with five. Um, so really it reaches, I don't know who it wouldn't reach. Okay. So it's very, very important, just like it was important to get dressed and start your day. It's very, very important to decide a time at the end of the day and stick to it, stick to it. If you, and also actually I have my kids helping me with this now, my young adult children, mom, you said after eight o'clock, your computer is off. And sometimes we watch a movie, we played Scrabble, we did different things, but that means not 802, 803, definitely not 815. If it's 8 o'clock p.m., it's very important mentally because you're going to have unfinished business. There's going to be emails to still return. You, you would have probably done most of it, but not all of it. And um, this can be an addicting thing, especially since we're in the age of computers. It's very hard. It can be very hard for me to turn it off. But you got to draw a line in the sand for mental health. At 8, again, for me, it's 8 p.m., shut it off. It's off. And then whatever you have not gotten done isn't going to get done on this day. Not going to get done on this day. Tip number three, draw a line in the sand. Then uh, tip number four is to actually have some sort of bedtime good night ritual. So, again, for me, I chose 8 p.m. for my uh, computer, which actually I'm going to lower. Um, usually we have dinner and then I check things like afterwards and then it's 8 p.m. I may change that. But as long as you have a draw line in the sand, that's what we're really looking for. Then, you know, maybe if you go to bed at 10 or 11 or whatever, 
very, very important to have a, like a routine. If it's dinner, then read a novel for pleasure, spend time with a partner, a good night ritual with kids, watch a movie, go for a walk, you know, whatever, whatever you do to have a plan. So whatever's not getting done on this day, line drawn there, not happening. And then have some kind of closure, chamomile tea at night, whatever. We're not saying it has to be the exact same thing every night, but that there's a wind down to the day. You know, if you wear sweats, pajamas, whatever, put those on so your brain knows the day is over. Um, so that'd be tip number four, just a suggestion, because we know um, with anybody who's got insomnia, it's a really good idea if you have trouble sleeping to be completely off your screen, all screens included. Cell phones, computers, tablets, any of it, turn them off two hours before you go to sleep. Um, and if for somebody who has extreme insomnia, that would include, that would include TV too. If you're going to get rid of the screens, um, you will sleep much, much, much better. So with the pandemic, somebody who may not have had trouble sleeping is now having trouble sleeping. So this is a very, very good suggestion. It's also good. Um, the brain is very responsive to lighting. So it's good to dim lights before you go to bed. And, you know, hot shower, hot bath, any kind of soothing something. And, and that's it. Bedtime routine. If you are a parent of small kids who you're, who you're still, uh, you know, have a, a putting to bed at night, this is important anyway, even without the pandemic situation. It's a very, very important for kids to have routine, as I'm sure you know. And during a pandemic, it's even more important. And it's also important that your that your kids are aware that you have a routine because kids um, very quickly pick up, do as I say, not as I do, and especially teenagers. So them seeing that you have a routine is also very important. Teenagers need to be, are still need a lot of parenting, as you know. Teenagers need a lot of parenting. So helping them to help themselves and it, uh, get take those screens away, you know, figure out a, a way to say it better so that they're part of the conversation. That tends to work better for teenagers than just, you know, authoritarian removal of something. Unless, of course, there's a consequence for unwanted behavior that's different. But, you know, in, in a regular situation, to make them a part of the conversation, maybe establish a place where everybody puts their cell phones at night, like a basket, drawer, something. That's a good idea if you have teenagers or young adults. Um, and to kind of help them, assist them with helping themselves and practicing good self-care. Most important for mom and dad or mom and mom or dad and dad or single dad and mom or whatever to, to role model that for them and draw attention to it. Say, look, dad's taking care of himself. It's in the drawer. Another uh, really good talk, this is tip number five, is to adjust the bar. That's tip number five. This works for everybody, regardless of your age, whether you're, you know, five, 25, 50, 80, older, to adjust the bar, you know, and I, I've had a, I've had quite a few students who've been recovering perfectionists, and that's one you just want to plain delete because it's just not a bar I want in my life, that's for sure. I don't want to reach for it. I don't want to try. I don't want to talk about it. I don't even, I don't even allow the word in our house, perfection, because think about it. If you, even if you do reach it uh, for whatever it is, context for that, all you're doing is checking a box. There's nowhere to go but down, right? It's just not healthy. So the, you know, the bar people talk about, quote unquote, quote unquote, the bar, adjust it. Well, for me, I adjust it to do the, do my best. 
I do my best every day in every way. That is my bar. And my best on any day in every, any given situation is going to be different. You know, if you've got the flu, your best is going to be different than when you're, you know, you wake up feeling like dancing, pound some OJ in the morning, you're ready to go. That's going to be a different best than when you don't feel well or when your child doesn't feel well and you've been up all night with them throwing up and changing sheets and everything else. So adjust that bar, adjust the bar to do the best you can. Okay, I think we're on tip number six now. And if not, we'll just end up with the next one. So the, the adjust the bar to do my best. I uh, I was at a Melissa Estrich con- uh, concert years ago. I have a friend who's a, a total groupie. She follows her all over the place. And she was very good, I have to say. One of the best concerts I've been to and very engaged with her audience. And, you know, she I figured it was towards the end. She actually talks to her audience. It's pretty amazing. Um, and I didn't really, um, I hadn't heard too many of her songs. I know, Come Through My Window, I think it is. I really like that one. But anyway, she's talking to her audience, and she just started having this conversation with, I do the best I can every day in every way. Melissa Estridge. And I just, man, like, I want, that is a keeper. I'm going to keep that, which rolls into, okay, tip number six is the good enough parent, the good enough employee, the good enough college student, the good enough elementary, the good enough middle school student, the good enough parent taking care of their parent, their aging parent, it's so important to to tell ourselves, actually say it to ourselves. You know, I'm good enough. This I'm doing. I'm good enough. Apps. No one's striving for perfect. I'm good enough. And this actually came from Donald Winnicott in the '50s. He uh, has started with this 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 theory. Came up with this theory about the good enough mother, which obviously that was the '50s. So in 2020, that would be the good enough parent or parents. And his whole theory was based on uh, taking care of infants and uh, infants and attachment. So it was about balancing meeting their, you know, the infant's needs with also kind of um, guiding them to manage the challenges and frustrations and discomfort that the world brings, obviously on an infant level, right? So, so managing that balance of being there the high, high, high majority of the time, picking her up when she's um, hungry, sick, tired, just wanting affection and needing affection and love, and also, uh, you know, starting to allow, you know, some of the, the you know, um, the stuff that happens in life. And, and also as they grow older, same thing, balance, balance, balance. And he found that, you know, when, when the, you know, again, the good enough mother at that in the 50s, that when a child you know, had this kind of good enough mother and this attachment that they turned out to be very, very happy and well-adjusted adults. And I think we could use to revisit this Donald Winnicott's theory now during the Rona virus, right? And, and also kind of expand on this again to the good enough parent and then the good enough employee, which includes, you know, lots of different jobs, right? And those of you on the front line still, the good enough healthcare worker, the good enough teacher, the good enough homeschool parent now, the good enough, uh, you know, doing a good enough job taking care of an aging parent and just transferring that and accepting that this is the best I can do, the good enough fill in the blank. That's tip six. And tip number seven is remember the importance of the breath, the welcoming breath. And also, Minecrafters out there listening, realize these are not in any order. I'm literally not looking at a script right now. I've also written several articles on this lately. I would have had breathing up up front more, 
So the the importance of deliberate breathing. Obviously, we you know breathing is you know valuable for the you know obvious keeping us alive, but we're talking about deliberate breathing, just big. Oh, because this is an immediate reset for the brain, an immediate reset, taking us out of next Tuesday, last Tuesday, last year, next year. What am I making for dinner? Um, will I get a call from the school today? You know, my kids only in school two days a week. Are they going to now take that away? What am I going to do if they do that? What if, what if, what if, what if um, I only stay virtual so long and my company decides we're not paying for everybody to be at home and then I'm without a job. Okay. The deliberate breathing is an immediate, immediate relief from that. Tip eight, again, not in any kind of orders, to be mindful, to be mindful as much as possible, which means to be in the present moment as much as possible. And one of the many things I like about mindfulness is that we can't do it wrong. So it's not, oh, there I go again. I can't even do this right. There, there I go again. There goes my anxiety. There goes my depression. No. All we do is um, take another deep breath. <sighs> okay. And if that anxious thought went by, we say, okay, it must be I'm nervous today. It must be I'm anxious today. Who cares? Welcome to the human race. We are in a pandemic. I'm nervous today. And then start over and take a big deep breath and be mindful doing whatever you're doing. If you're reading a book to your child, you're washing the dishes, you're eating, you're on a walk, you're having five-star sex with a partner, whatever it is, be in the moment. And then, as we've discussed in previous episodes, many episodes, so if you're listening for the first time or second time, there's a lot more detail about this in previous episodes, okay? So when the monkey mind stuff starts, that thought chatter with the pandemic the Rona stuff, will I be laid off? Will I be furloughed? I can't stand this. What if I don't see my friends again? What if they hire somebody else? What, you know, what if, what if, what if? Remember that you are the boss of your brain. You are the boss of your brain. So then you respond with, not today, maybe tomorrow. This, you have to keep up with it because we know the brain is like a toddler. It, it's going to have a tantrum when you try to, you know, stop it from being negative. It's going to have a tantrum because, even the adult brain wants what it wants when it wants it, just like a toddler wants M&Ms. The brain is also lazy, and it's going to uh, want to do what's familiar. So if that's your, if that's your kind of your MO or your agenda is the what-if thinking, it's going to continue to do that because it's familiar and comfortable, and you're reinforcing it when you allow it, right? So by saying, not today, maybe tomorrow, you're kind of tricking the brain into having an appointment with you tomorrow, to do all the what if thinking or self-deprecating or whatever. And then obviously the next day you say it again, not today, maybe tomorrow. And you got to stay committed to it, follow through with it, just like a good parent to redirect this behavior right through the you know mental tantrum that it's going to have. And about 21 days is how long it takes for a habit to shift and stick. Number nine. Do your best to reduce your caffeine intake. Is anybody who's anxious anyway, kind of deals with anxiety on a, on a rel- you know, regular basis, wants to really minimize your caffeine intake. Is somebody who's nervous and jittery and anxious is going to be, you know, amped up times 100 if you're also taking in a lot of caffeine. So um, 
if going cold turkey and getting off of it isn't realistic for you, which it probably isn't for you know the high majority of people, try to just reduce it. Try to reduce it. And certainly if you're having trouble sleeping, anytime after two o'clock is not a good idea. Um, if you're somebody who has kind of intermittent anxiety, like maybe you're not diagnosed, you don't have it, a lot of lot, you have it sometimes. If you have it sometimes, if you wake up, and this happens to me, if you wake up and you're just feeling racy that day, you can just tell yourself, you know what, for today or maybe just the first part of this day, I'm going to just, let me just lay off the caffeine for today and I'll reevaluate, you know, at lunchtime and see what's going on. But if you start out racy, it's best to avoid caffeine. Tip 10 is to get outside. And I'm going to involve exercise in the same tip. Exercise is often outside, though not always. There are people who are, you know, I say gym rats. I don't mean it badly. I mean it with affection. You have a treadmill in your house, good for you. Um, But it's super important to get outside, even if that's a 15-minute walk. If you're super urban, you're in Manhattan, um, you know, Tokyo, you know, wherever, okay, get outside. It's just so important to, to, to breathe. It's so important to breathe. And, um, yeah, get outside. Very, very, very important. Even for 15 minutes, and just, you know, an added little psychology slash nutrition fun fact, um, for memory wise that it's, it's been research has demonstrated a gazillion times how much blueberries eating blueberries will prevent memory loss. Truth right there. Second would be walnuts. So stack up on the, on the, you know, uh, start getting those supplies up for blueberries and walnuts, and you'll be in a much better shape um, as an older person. And exercising itself is not, I mean, it's such, oh my God, this is so good for one's mental health. I'm a, I like to ski. I run. Um, been doing pretty well with, I have a, a pretty low bar for myself, actually, at least three times a week, and I aim for four, and it's working out pretty well. Even if you do a run walk, or, you know, you have to want to do it, you have to like it, because um, willpower is only going to take us so far. If it helps to have a, a you know a friend or you know um, a family member do something with you, that's great. You know, just just get out there and also exercise and you know obviously just all all the way around heart and mind and everything. And also memory wise, I love to talk about this uh, as my degrees in cognitive psychology that it's huge for prevention of uh, any kind of cognitive decline. No guarantee, certainly, but the cards are way stacked in your favor if you've been exercising most of your life. Just tossing that out. Tip 10 kind of leads into tip 11. And I don't have any, again, I'm not looking at a script. I have no plan for this right now. They're coming right out of my own cabeza, okay? So tip 11 is is carve out at least 15 minutes. That is not a lot, not a lot to ask. You can spend that much time in the bathroom, literally, okay? 15 minutes once each day to do something that makes your heart sing. We call this leisure. Okay. There's not any goal in mind. If it's, if it's reading, that's great. As long as it's for leisure, I'm a professor. So I love reading no matter what. And, and I have to, you know, if I'm reading a, a novel, that's, that's total leisure, right? Anything it can be, you know, whatever, whatever is, is a healthy escape for you, at least 15 minutes. And many of us, especially in the, if we're in the routine of being a parent, we may have to kind of force ourselves to schedule this like we would schedule a dentist appointment or a haircut because it can be very hard, especially for parents who are in that the stage where their kids are really little and, and um, you know, when they're infants, toddlers, it can, we get so used to, um, you know, meeting needs all day long 
as we need to, as we're supposed to, right? Being good parents. And still, it, it, we need to recharge our own batteries in at least 15 minutes to do something that makes your heart sing. So important. Okay, and this, this leads into a simple pleasure, which is related to leisure, but not necessarily the same thing. I know, um, I think of a simple pleasure, you know, it's September. So I've been saying, ooh, you know, the, the creamy stands or soft ice cream, we used to call them in New York. And my grandmother used to call them custard, I think. You know, to go to an ice cream stand and, you know, that last end of summer ice cream, that's a simple pleasure. It's such a great simple pleasure. And I realize this is another food example, and they don't have to be. But I'm thinking of, you know, it's so fun, and my adult children still love it. You know, make your own pizza night and movie. It's so great. You can pick an old movie that's kind of uplifting, you know, comedy, and you, um, you cut up you have the pepperoni, you kind of clean out the fridge for all leftover, you know, you know veggies especially now. The gardens have all kind of done their thing. And put everything in little bowls across the counter. This is what I do. And a big, a big bowl of sauce, a big bowl of of cheese, let everybody make their own. And, it, and then you put on an old movie. And that's, that's to me is one of the best simple pleasures ever. And a little bit different from leisure, some overlap, but something that's just, just so just enjoyable. And tip 13 is about another, uh, be the boss of your brain tip. Okay. If we're feeling, if you're feeling anxious, okay, this, this distraction of allowing inviting, not just allowing, inviting a good memory back in will turn your day around, I'm sure, at least in that moment. You might have to do it again. So your long-term memory is like a bookshelf, and there'll be a mix of memories on there, obviously. Pull off one of the good books, pull off one of the good books, and, and kind of revisit that memory. So here's a little tidbit for you. Sean talks about an experiment, and he says that subjects were asked to make a difficult time-pressured speech that they were told would be videotaped and evaluated by their peers. As you imagine, this induced considerable anxiety and measurable increases heart rate and blood pressure. So we had actually briefly talked about this uh, a couple of times, and one of them was with Sean Aker's book, The Happiness Advantage. And this this kind of just consciously choosing to pull a happy memory out of our memory banks, our bookshelves, we know, psychologically speaking, that this works at least in the short term. And this is called the undoing effect. So Sean Aker says, why does this work? Because in addition to broadening our intellectual and creative capacities, positive emotions also provide a swift antidote to physical stress and anxiety, what psychologists call the undoing effect. Then the researchers randomly assigned the participants to view one of four different videos to induce feelings of joy and contentment. One was neutral and the fourth was sad. Indeed, the people primed for positive feelings experienced a faster recovery from the stress and its physical effects. Of course, of course, not only had the happy films made them feel better, but they had undone the physiological effects of stress. In other words, a quick burst of positive emotions doesn't just broaden our cognitive capacity, it also provides a quick and powerful antidote to stress and anxiety which in turn improves our focus and our ability to function at our best level. And that's a good one. But actually, this one, this following one is my absolute favorite. It involves doctors and candy, and it's absolutely amazing. The doctors were split into three groups, one primed to feel happy, one given neutral but medicine-related statements to read before the exercise, and one, the control group, given nothing. 
the goal of the study um, was not to see how fast they performed the correct diagnosis, but also how well they avoided anchoring and getting stuck. As it turned out, the happy doctors made the right diagnoses much faster and exhibited much more creativity. On average, they came to a correct diagnosis only 20% of the way through the manuscript. That's amazing. Nearly twice as fast as a control group and showed about two and a half times less anchoring. He talks about his favorite part of the study, which is mine too. Sean Aker says his favorite part of the study was how the doctors were primed to be happy. They were given lollipops. That's, that's awesome. It didn't take a cash reward or the promise of a promotion or an extra week of vacation to boost their moods enough to make them twice as effective and more than twice as creative. All it took was a small gift of candy right before they started the task. And here's a kicker. They weren't even they, they weren't they weren't even allowed to eat the candy because that would have potentially skewed the results by elevating their their blood sugar levels. The re, this reveals something so important about the happiness advantage in action. Even the smallest shots of positivity can give someone a serious competitive advantage. Take that to the bank. I mean, it's just it's just so important. And so tip 14, um, not not again, not in order because I would have gratitude journal right up there too. Being grateful, expressing grateful every single day, practicing, cultivating gratitude. Again, we talked about this earlier. We live in northern Vermont. There's surrounded by beautiful farms. And when I think of cultivating, I think of rich, you know, deep, dark soil that's just promotes growth. So cultivating gratitude. And here's the important thing. It's okay to say it. It's good to say it. It's certainly good to say it as much as we can. Even better is to keep a gratitude journal and to write in the journal. I have my Minecraft students do this. They bring it every day to class. And it's important to write, I am grateful for, not just my dog, my partner, you know, you know, dad's homemade chicken soup. I am grateful for my dog because again, the brain's like a toddler. And in order to kind of drive the point home of how you want the toddler to behave, it takes a whole lot of consistency and repetition. The toddler needs to know what to do. Same is true with the brain. So I am grateful for, and my Minecraft students write down three sentences. I keep it very simple because simple is going to work. Okay. I am grateful for my dog. I am grateful for the sunset. I am grateful for this great thing that happened every single day. And to kind of uh, embrace one of the principles of the happiness advantage with the gratitude journal, which is the 22nd rule. Okay. We want to make it easy to make this, a to make this stick as a habit, right? So my own gratitude journal is on the windowsill of our bedroom. So I have to walk out the door right past it. It's right there. So you want to make it, you don't have to dig for it to find it. I also have a pen in there, wedged in there. So it could not be easier to just grab it. It takes literally 30 seconds to jot down three things I'm grateful for. And it happens nearly every day. I would say 99% of the time. 22nd rule with the gratitude journal. Tip 15 is to find your own power song. Everybody's got one. You might not know you have one, but you have one. Something you can just just bounce to, just get in the rhythm. And something, and the, the power part's important, important, that actually we feel just rejuvenated and charged and like we have the world by the ass. For me, I'm a big Aretha Franklin fan. In fact, my very sexy red Jeep with the pay it forward license plates in the driveway, her name is Aretha. 
Uh, she's bright red and she's gorgeous. The Aretha, my Aretha Franklin song that is my personal power song is Think. And it roll, which rolls right into to the one respect, but think is my power song. And I dance, no joke, not lightning strike me right now if I'm wired for lies, because I'm not. I stand right on the coffee table when nobody's home, sometimes scantily clad if I just woke up, and just crank it, just crank it. You know, and a lot of people say, you know, or that cliche, dance like nobody's watching. You know, I'm going to go, I'm going to swing to be that rebel. I dance like everybody's watching. Okay, just flying around, and and it's it's best if you're by yourself though, just because you can feel that power, the power of that song. Find your own power song. It's there. You just need to discover it. Okay, Minecraft. There's a 15 good tips. There may have been an extra one in there because I could have lost count. So here's the thing: we know that uh, it's all about being the boss of our brain, right? There are only two two choices when it comes to this: either we control our thoughts, or our thoughts control us. I would also like to thank all of you for listening. 41 countries, Jean Coulier, Poland. And since it is September 11th in the United States, I want to send the good vibes, the loving energy to any of my fellow Americans who uh, whose lives are turned upside down on that day. Families were affected. Also, any of you who are listening or anybody in other countries who happen to be visiting New York on that, on that day, I'd like to also send big, you know, just good vibes and loving energy to you as well. The, the United States got a whole... You know, uh, choked up here because it's so awful. The United States really received a lot, of, a lot of love from other countries on that day. A lot of love and support. Um, so, just want to share, spread the good energy with some big thank yous and special good vibes going out to FDNY and NYPD and anyone else uh, who kind of was a hero during that tragedy. Big, big blessings, everyone. With that, I will say, take some big, deep breaths. Yeah, for sure. Big inhale, big exhale. This is Kimberly Quinn signing off from Northern Vermont. Have a mindful day. Mm-hmm.